songs that we sing, um, the gatherings with friends and families, the giving of gifts, all of these things, um, pointing us towards this incredible mystery of Emmanuel, of God with us, that he was made man for us and for our salvation. Father, you have told us that when we come into your presence, um, we are coming before a king, and it is, it is appropriate um, for us to bring our cares and our petitions and to cast our anxieties on you because you care for us. And we're reminded by Paul um, in his letter to the, to the Romans that if we, if we want proof of that, if we, if we wonder, do you really care for us? Do you really hear? Um, all we have to do is to look at Jesus. All we have to do is look uh, at Jesus, who uh, not only did he empty himself of his glory and humble himself to be found uh, in the form of a human being, in the form of a servant, um, but even humbled himself uh, to die on a cross, to bear our guilt in our place, um, and to die uh, the death of a criminal. Um, and, and the fact that you have given him for us is all the proof that we need of your love uh, for this world. Um, Jesus, we at times struggle to believe that these things are true. Holy Spirit, we struggle to connect these truths um, to the problems in our lives, uh, to the uh, fears that we face, to the illnesses um, that plague our lives and those of those uh, uh, whom we love, um, struggles at work and in school, struggles with neighbors and with friends and with family, um, anxieties, uh, seasons of depression, and dark nights of the soul when we wonder if you are there um, and our experience of you is of darkness and of silence. Um, it is at that moment that we need this reminder, that we need this, this promise, that it is precisely on those walking in deep darkness uh, on whom a light has shined. Um, that Jesus, you came into the world um, as the light and as the life, um, and that the darkness has not overcome that light. Um, in the next days, uh, many of us will have opportunity uh, to... Uh, rely more deeply on that promise, and I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will enable us to do it. Uh, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will use uh, all of the words that we have heard uh, during this season. Uh, indeed, the word that we have heard read today, um, the words um, that I will speak, um, the words that we will hear as we come to your table, that you will use all of those things to do exactly uh, what Bradley just spoke about, that you would put our hearts in order, that you would rightly relate us to you, to yourself. Um, your word says that you have done it. Your word says, as we've been reminded already today, that you have reconciled yourself uh, to the world in your son, Jesus. We pray, Father, um, that you would send your spirit uh, into our hearts, um, that we would enjoy full communion uh, with you, uh, now as we worship you and as we go uh, from this place. Uh, Father, I pray for each person in this room who uh, our struggles are different, our joys are different. Uh, 
Um, but there is one faith that we confess. Uh, there is one God whom we call Lord. There is one Jesus whom we call our Savior. And there is one Spirit uh, to whom we cry now. And I pray uh, to you, Holy Spirit, as I always do, uh, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, it has been um, a lot of fun uh, for me this, this Advent season to, to spend the season looking at this song, um, the one that goes by the Latin name of Benedictus, uh, the one that's been in the liturgy of the church um, for over a thousand years, uh, one that can be familiar and, and can even be a little bit rote um, to us, but it is a great text. It is a great Advent text. Uh, Luke 1 uh, is a great place to be in Advent, and John the Baptist um, is a great person to be considering uh, during the season of Advent, the one who went before the Lord, the one who prepared the way. Um, he is a good one for us to consider. What we've been doing this, uh, this, this Advent season, we've spent all of it, as, as Bradley just reminded us, um, in the same text um, that he read, uh, Luke chapter 1, uh, verses 67 to 79, the song of, of Zechariah. And what we've been doing is we've been going through it and pulling out these themes that we return to every Advent season. Um, in the first week, we talked about how the whole... Um, the whole of the Advent season, the whole of uh, this song uh, is full of joy. It's a season of waiting, yes, um, but it is a season of expectant and joyful waiting for what God will do. Um, and then we went through the different sections and we saw how the beginning of this song speaks of the hope that we have in a God who has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us. Um, last week, Bradley reminded us of why God did this. Why has God sent this salvation? It's because he loves us. It's because his love has been expressed to us in the promises that he has made since the oath that he made to our father Abraham and that, and that kept unfolding and developing uh, in the covenant um, that develops throughout the scriptures until we land on Jesus. And now, uh, this week, we're looking at the last section, verses six, uh, excuse me, 76 to 79. It's this last, last section when Zechariah transitions from talking about what God has done, which is what he has been talking about so far in this song, and now he turns to his son, to his infant son. Um, and he says, you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. And here, we're going to talk about peace. We're going to talk about how uh, God brings peace uh, into the world and how John the Baptist was one who prepared the way for the Prince of Peace. And there's three things that we're going to talk about. One, I, I want to talk about that, that preparation, that sense that John was not the one. He made this very clear. He was not the one who was coming. There was one coming after him. He was there to prepare the way. I want to talk about how in John the Baptist... Um, we see God's character is to prepare the way uh, for peace. Um, secondly, I want to talk about how this peace uh, that he brings is a peace full of light, full of knowledge. It is, it is not, what we're going to say, it is not the kind of peace that just kind of covers over things that we'd rather not talk about. 
right? That's why it's not just peace and quiet. It's not just the lack of conflict. Um, it, is a, it is a peace full of truth and knowledge and light that doesn't just cover over our sin, but really deals with it in the light. And then lastly, these last verses talk about the way of peace. It says to guide our feet into the way of peace. And I want to talk about that way, how peace uh, is a way of life uh, and, and, and a life uh, that we see most fully uh, in the person of Jesus. So we're going to talk about preparation, light, and the way of peace. So let's talk first about this, this preparation. And I just want to say two things about it. Um, one is that the way um, that God prepares uh, for peace uh, does not look the way we would expect it to. Um, but secondly, I want to talk about how um, what John is preparing for, what God is preparing for in sending John, um, nevertheless, uh, is for a king, uh, is for a kingdom that, that, that is coming. Um, those of us that, um, most of us in our, in our work, um, know what it means to prepare for something. Right? Most of us know what it means to have a deadline, to have some big project that we're working on, and we know on X date, the whole thing has to be done. The deliverable has to be ready, has to be handed over to the client, you know, whatever it is. The paper has to be written, the presentation has to be made. Um, and we know um, that in order to, to hit that ultimate goal, you got to set up milestones. You know, you got to set up like a timeline. You got to set up some kind of a progress chart. I don't know what. Some of you might use, you know, software for this, like Asana and Trello, right? You've got your Gantt chart with all the, all the different milestones. Um, and you know that if you miss a milestone along the way, right, the thing turns yellow, right? You, suddenly you're looking at a yellow screen, and if you miss a couple of them, it turns red, and now you're really in trouble, right? Got to get back on track, back on progress. Um, if you think about this history of preparation that God carried out for the Messiah to come into the world. Paul, Paul says that Jesus came into the world in the fullness of time, right? When the time was just right. But if you think about the milestones that you might have been looking for, if you were a faithful Jew waiting for the Messiah, you know, you, you might have thought, maybe we should be a little less dominated by Rome. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe we should be back to the way that things were uh, in, in the temple. Um, there would have been some milestones that you would have been waiting for that would not have been hit. And when John comes and the angel says he's going to come as one in the spirit of Elijah, right? And as we said a couple weeks ago, that language would have stood out to Zechariah. Like Zechariah would have known that's the last thing that has to happen before the Messiah is for someone to come who's like, Elijah. Um, John himself does not look like the one who's preparing the way, right? He's, he's out in the wilderness. He's eating locusts. He's wearing camel skins, right? Um, you know, this, this does not look like the preparation uh, for the Messiah. Um, all these prophets that God had sent uh, throughout history, they were all rejected. John gets rejected by many, at least of the powerful as well. Right, he's rejected by Herod. Uh, he's rejected by the Pharisees, the religious leaders. There were many people going out to him, but 
John was not turning the tide in any human sense. And yet he is the one uh, who is who's preparing the way. Um, but the other thing that I want to say about this preparation is that, make no mistake, John is preparing for a king. He is preparing for a kingdom, a kingdom that is not of this world, and, and a kingdom that is definitely not of John either. Um, he is the one constantly pointing away from himself. Um, if you've ever seen a painting of John the Baptist, there's a lot of famous paintings of John the Baptist. Maybe the most famous of them is this one that's on the Eisenheim altarpiece, right? It's actually, a, it's actually a scene of the crucifixion, but John the Baptist is standing next to the cross, and what is he doing, right? He's, he's pointing, and he's got this, like, really exaggeratedly long finger that's pointing at the cross. And there's so many paintings of John the Baptist that have him doing that, pointing away from himself, gesturing with his body uh, to the same way that he said with his words, I am not the one you've been looking for. There is one coming after me that I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes, right? Um, when he finally sees Jesus in John's gospel, he points. He says, behold, that's the one. Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. John is a really big deal, Make no mistake about that. In Matthew, Jesus says um, that there's no one among those born of women who's greater than John the Baptist. I, that, I think that's everybody, right? There's no one greater than John the Baptist, is what Jesus says. Um, and this, this, this chapter, Luke 1, has made a big deal out of him. If you, if you read all of Luke 1, there's these parallel accounts there's two birth announcements. There's two miraculous births. And the, the center of the chapter is when Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, and Elizabeth says that when you drew near, the baby in my womb leapt in the presence of the baby in yours. Um, John is a big deal, but he is a big deal most of all because of who he's pointing at. Advent is a season of waiting for a king who has come once already and who's going to come again, who has already brought his kingdom into the world and who will bring it again in fullness. Um, I wonder what it is that you are waiting for. And as you wait... And as you think about what waiting looks like and what preparation looks like, if, we're, if, if, if John the Baptist can be anything for us, you know, he perhaps can be a model of what it means to wait faithfully. Um, are we waiting for a kingdom that's not ours, that doesn't have us at its center? Is that what we want? Is that what our heart cries out for? Are we leaving room for God to work in ways that don't look like human modes of preparation that you would see on a typical Gantt chart, right? Um, a typical timeline for getting something done. Um, I think that we struggle with that. I think it's good for us to look at John and to consider, are we waiting the way that he was waiting? Are we preparing the way that he was preparing? 
The second thing that we see in, in this passage about this preparation and about this peace that's coming into the world um, is that it is a peace um, that is full of light and a peace that's full of truth and a peace that's full of knowledge. Um, Zechariah says to his son um, in verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. Um, what this makes me think of more than anything, um, the sunrise uh, shedding light and giving knowledge um, is going camping and arriving uh, at the campsite in the, in the dark. All right, so my family is a camping family. That's what we do for most of our vacations. Very frequently, you know, if it's a weekend trip, we leave Friday evening. By the time we get there, it's dark. And, and you've done this, right? Tried to set up camp in the dark try to pitch a tent in the dark and you're stumbling over things and, and it's hard to tell where anything is and it feels like you're it, it feels like you're in this very very large unruly space you know and then you go to bed and you wake up in the morning and the sun has risen and you look around and you go this was it you know the table that I couldn't find last night it's right there you know and the tent that's next to mine that I couldn't find that I was stumbling over last night well it's right it's right there um, the sun rises and suddenly everything is clear and we're out of the darkness and we have, and we have knowledge. Um, but the knowledge in particular, this is a knowledge of salvation in the forgiveness of their sins. Um, earlier in the song, Zechariah talked about salvation in the form of a deliverance from enemies, right? That we might be saved from our enemies, the hand of all who hate us, right? That was in verse 71. But now... He's talking about a salvation that's much deeper and much more necessary and much harder. Um, a salvation that comes in the forgiveness of our own sins. And what that means um, is that here we're talking about a light that shines onto things that we perhaps would rather not have brought out of the darkness and brought into the light. Um, I, I would imagine that you know, many of you are about to start traveling or, or family, you're here and you have traveled and you've come and we're in this season where sometimes we get together and sometimes our only wish, our only prayer for the Christmas season is that there can just be peace of the sort that's more just the peace and quiet. Like could we just not mention that one thing? Could we just not talk about politics? Could we just not talk about that one decision that someone made that I really don't think was the right one, but could we just not talk about it, right? Could we just keep this stuff covered over? Could we just have peace and quiet? Um, how much harder, how much harder is it for us to bring out into the open before a holy God those things of which we're most ashamed? This is why the practice of confession every week is so important. This is why it's so important that we be reminded every single week, he already knows. He already knows everything about us. He already knows what we have done. He already knows what we will do. He knew all of that when he loved us enough to send his son Jesus into the world. Jesus knew all of that when he loved us enough to go to the cross. Um... The peace that Jesus offers, which he says is not like the peace the world gives, 
a peace which usually is, at best, a cessation of conflict. I know that's something that we are all hoping and longing for, and even that seems far, far off in the world that we live in. But the peace that Jesus offers is deeper and richer than that. It really is everything being ordered rightly. It really is us being rightly related to God with nothing hidden, nothing covered over, everything brought out into the light. Our sins not just put under a rock, but dealt with fully and completely so that there's no guilt, so that our consciences can be fully clear. That's the kind of peace that comes. And where it says... um, that this is, why? Because of the tender mercy of our God. Um, you guys, this is a great phrase. Um, mercy there is the Greek word that gets used in the Greek version of the Old Testament for hesed, right? For the, 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 the loyal love, um, the steadfast love of the Lord. And tender, that's this word that, that comes from the root, uh, the, the root of this word has to do with, with your internal organs, your kidneys in particular. Um, it's the same word that, in some places in the New Testament, it says that Jesus had compassion, and it uses the same word. He had compassion, and it, the sense that it's giving is that it's from the gut, right? It's, it's from the, the innermost, your innermost sense, self. Um, God is doing this um, from the gut, it is, it is deeply, deeply in his character uh, to do this. It's just like when we looked at the fear of the Lord a couple years ago, and, and we kept coming back to this verse in Jeremiah where God makes this promise. Uh, Jeremiah 32, he says, I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good, and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. And he said, think about that. Think about God doing something with all his heart and with all his soul. And here we're seeing the same thing. That from the very depths of who God is, he is going to bring this salvation, this peace, in the knowledge of the forgiveness of our sins. This is who our God is. One of my favorite verses that we've come back to often um, in Isaiah 30, you know, our, our, our liturgy, frequently uh, uses Isaiah 30, 15, that says that our salvation lies in rest and repentance. And what I love is that after it says that our salvation lies in rest and repentance, it deals with the fact that most of us would really rather not have it that way. We'd rather not have a salvation that depends on repentance. So we run away. Isaiah 30, 16 says, but you wouldn't have it. You ran away. But then it turns to how God responds to that. And it says that when we run away from repentance, when we run away from the salvation he offers, resting in him, Isaiah 30, 18 says that he waits to be gracious to us. And he even exalts himself to show us mercy, that it is his character to wait to be gracious so that it is never, ever too late to turn to him. You have never, ever sinned too many times, fled from repentance and confession too many times. It is never too late. He is waiting. He exalts himself to show you mercy.
Zechariah finishes with these words. He says, it's to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. I, I read that this week and I thought, this is, this is what we need. Um, there's many of us who have come through a year um, that has been riddled with struggle and, and punctuated by moments that feel like darkness and feel like the shadow of death. And here Zechariah is saying that John is preparing the way for one who's going to guide our feet into the way of peace. Um, this, this image of a way uh, is used frequently in Scripture, this image of walking, of a path, of a journey of some kind, um, of a way of life. Um, Psalm 1, of course, uses it in the negative sense, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Paul is constantly reminding uh, his readers to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord or of the calling to which you've been called. Um, and here again, peace is described as being a way, a way of life. It's not just a static situation, right, of, of cessation of violence, of quiet, of just everything stay the same. Um, it is a dynamic, rich, full, flourishing life, the way that it's meant to be. All of the beauty and all of the productivity, all of the fruition, all of the fruitfulness of creation as God intended it, um, especially uh, when it comes to those that he made in his image. Um, of course, you can't hear the word way um, in an Advent prophecy without remembering that Jesus used that word to refer to himself. Uh, he said he himself was the way. He was the light. He was the truth. Um, he is the way. And so this, this passage ends, this prophecy ends um, in a way perfectly fitting uh, to be one about John the Baptist who is going to be pointing away from himself and at that one, at that, at that way. Um, pointing at Jesus. And what this means is that this, this way of life, this peace, um, it, it's not simply a matter of being shown a road and given a map and a compass and then being told, good luck. See if you can find your way home. Um, this is one in which we are united to Jesus because he is not only the one who has gone before us, but he himself is the way. Um, our faith unites us to him. It is a way that has been trod before. Um, it is a way of life that participates in his life. This picture that he's given us in this table uh, that we're coming to now uh, speaks exactly of that. Um, we sit down and we eat and we drink um, the bread and the wine, the body and the blood. There's a place in one of his sermons where Augustine says, you know, what's, what's really unique about this meal is that every other meal you eat food 
and then your body turns the food into more of yourself, right? Like you, 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 you grow, uh, and you take, you take food into yourself, and the food becomes you. But here it's the opposite. Here, Augustine says, we become what we eat. That as we come to this table uh, and are nourished by the body and blood of Christ, um, it's one of the means that God's Spirit uses, us, uses to make us more like him, um, both individually uh, and as a body, uh, as a church. Um, so before we come uh, to this table, let's give thanks and let's pray together.